Well, if you're new to our church, what I typically do is I will preach from a passage of scripture and we'll kind of dissect it and I'll let the text uh, direct the flow of our conversation. But today I really felt that I was to speak a little bit more prophetically, if that's okay, and share with you some of the things that God has placed in my, my heart and my wife's heart over the last year, something that's been stirring on our leadership team. And um, I, I, I believe God has placed a special call on our church for our county, for Grant County, and for this community. And, uh, of course, everything I share today is informed by Scripture, but I, I would just ask that you would pray about what I'm going to talk about today and, and allow the Lord to speak to you about it. How many of you got my email this last week on Tuesday? I shared a little bit about uh, my heart for the future of our church and involving a new church name, and I'm going to kind of unpack that a little bit more today. Um, for those of you who, who did not get the email, this is all brand new news to you, and I'm sorry that you just get a shock, you know, a jolt right here on Sunday morning. Uh, but uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit about what I shared in the video, and I'm going to expand on it a little bit. So the history of our church, Afraid of Foursquare Church uh, has been around for four decades. 1979 is when this church was, was founded, and this church has left a legacy of strengthening families and marriages. Just yesterday, uh, we had Verna Jacobson's memorial service, uh, her celebration of life, and uh, it was just such a blessing to be with the Jacobsons and to see the church family surround them and these the, the people that were there. They've been together for so long, and I heard story after story about how uh, this is where they found home. This is where they found family. This is where their marriage was strengthened. This is where their family was strengthened. This church has a legacy of strengthening families. It has a legacy of helping the poor and the marginalized, and his helping hands has been a huge part of that, and Don Prince, what you've been doing with his helping hands has been a huge part of that, and um, it also has a legacy of raising up and releasing multiple pastors and missionaries that are now uh, ministering throughout the world. Daryl Wall is a, is a pastor in Leavenworth. There's been uh, lots of, yeah, that's right, Mitch's dad. And uh, there's, been, there's been pastors and missionaries that have come out of this place and have, and have begun to do the work that God has called and placed on their life. And um, it was refreshing to hear Pastor Rory, the former pastor of this church, Rory Llewellyn was here uh, yesterday. Woo! Go, Rory. And uh, I know, and uh, I, I love and respect that man so much when he was talking. Uh, he made me feel good because he said that his reaction driving into this town was the same reaction that my wife and I had when we drove into this town. We looked around and we said, I don't think so. I'm not coming here. No way. But what happened is was we sat down with the council. We sat down with some of the people, some of you at the church, and we fell in love with you guys. We fell in love with the people, and we looked at each other, my wife and I, and said, this is where we want to raise a young family. This is where we want our kids to be rooted, and uh, we're so thankful to be here. But if I'm, I want to be honest with you, I'm going to let you into some of the conversations I was having with God in the last year, if that's okay. And uh, the beginning of 2021, my conversations with God sounded something like, God, I really hope that you can help me to be a good pastor to this small community. Help me to be okay with reaching a smaller group of people than I had expected. Help me, uh, God, I, I, I want you to move, God. But re realistically, what are you going to do in this small town of Afredo? I mean, nobody's even heard of this place. When I leave this town, people are like, where? What are you talking about? What, what, what was that name again? How do you spell it? 
And, I, and my conversations were got with God were like, you know, God, like, I, I want you to move, and I, I'm, I'm grateful to be here, but, you know, I'm going to set the bar low for myself. I don't have many expectations. And the Lord stopped me, kind of rebuked me in that, and he spoke to my heart, and he said, Blake, I am the God of small places. I'm the God of small places. He, he led me to Zechariah 4.10. It says, do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. And then he reminded me of a small town in the middle of nowhere where the greatest act of heaven took place. Maybe you've heard of this town. It's a little town called Bethlehem. This small town in the middle of nowhere was, was where God brought the biggest act of heaven and dropped Jesus in, the, in a baby to be born in a manger. He is the God of small places, the God of small beginnings. He does amazing things in small places. And he reminded me that he loves choosing the youngest and the smallest people. Abel was the youngest. Isaac was the youngest. Jacob, Joseph, David was the youngest. Gideon was the smallest and the youngest. He reminded me of the book of Jonah when an entire city repented and came to God. We, we say we want this. We want our entire town to come to know God, but we think, oh, realistically, how, how can that happen? It's happened before. And in the book of Jonah, the prophet Jonah came, and he, he gave this word to, to the people of Nineveh and said, if you don't, turn your, if you don't change your ways, God's going to destroy the city. And the entire city repented and turned to God. And God had mercy on that town. He is the God of small places. He does amazing things with so little. And I started looking into recent moves of God in America. There's been many moves of God throughout our world. And one of the most recent was in Brownsville, Florida in 1995. How many of you remember the Brownsville, Florida thing that broke out there? Thousands of people flooded into Brownsville, Florida to be healed and to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And many people, they, they see the move of God that happened in Brownsville, but they don't realize that the church in Brownsville prayed and fasted for three years prior to that. They were desperately crying out for a move of God. And Brownsville, Florida at the time... If you look at uh, the census uh, information, if you go online and look up what the population was, this is 2010. In 2010, the population of Brownsville, Florida was around uh, between 12 and 15,000 people, which means uh, before that, 1995, it was probably even smaller than that. Uh, It's a small town, barely bigger than our town, and a move of God broke out in this place, this small place, and thousands of people flooded to it. And we think, I, I was thinking to myself, God, what would that look like for that to happen here? And God said, why, why can't it happen here? Why wouldn't it happen here? If my people are hungry and crying out for a move of God, why wouldn't I move in a small town? Why wouldn't people come to that place to be healed and to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior? And I believe that there is another outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's coming to the church, capital C, the global church. Historically, we've recognized these outpourings of the Holy Spirit as revivals. We call them revivals, or we call them awakenings, or another term is renewals. But what is revival, and where do we see it in the Bible? If you look in the Bible, the word revival actually isn't found in the Bible. The word renewal is found in the Bible. In Romans chapter 12, it talks about the renewal of our minds. It talks about uh, the renewing of our spirits in Titus, that we are giving uh, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit that renews our spirits. 
But the word revival isn't mentioned in the Bible. But if you listen to this definition of revival, you can see that throughout Scripture, this has happened to people all throughout Scripture. This this reviving of the Spirit or this uh, coming back to the things of God. And so I want to read for you just this. uh, It's kind of a paragraph on what revival is just to give some clarity because I think uh, many people use the term revival and they, they mean a whole bunch of different things. So for the sake of clarity, this is what I mean when I'm talking about revival or renewal or awakening this morning. Revival refers to a widespread move of God that results in many people becoming passionate followers of Jesus. It encompasses the resurfacing of a love for God, an appreciation of God's holiness, a passion for his word and his church, a convicting awareness of personal and corporate sin, a spirit of humility, and a desire for repentance and growth and righteousness. Revival invigorates and sometimes deepens a believer's faith, opening his or her eyes to the truth in a fresh new way. It generally involves the connotation of a fresh start with a clean slate, marking a new beginning of a life lived in obedience to God. And I love this next line. Revival breaks the charm and power of the world, which binds the eyes of men and and generates both the will and power to live in the world, but not of the world. And revival is not for those who are already believers, but for people, any people who have a desire to know God. Revival is for all people, not just for those who are already believers. God wants to break out with an outpouring of his spirit to touch hearts all over our county and in our community. And if you read scripture, you you will notice that Israel had many instances of backsliding and worshiping idols and falling away from the Lord. They would they would say no to, to, to God and they would become rebellious and they would complain and they would grumble. And then they would come back to God. They would have these revival moments where, where they, would, they, they, they would see, they would recognize the error of their ways, and they would feel a conviction, and they would be corrected, and they would turn back to God. And those moments are revival moments happening in the life of Israel, except Israel did not have the power of the Holy Spirit, did not have the Holy Spirit at the time. And so revival on this side of the cross means even more, because we have the Holy Spirit that, that actually rejuvenates or revives our spirits and in second chronicles chapter 7 there's this really amazing story of king solomon david's son he builds the temple for the lord it's this beautiful temple that he's built for the lord and and it's consecrated for the lord and fire brings down uh, excuse me god brings fire down from heaven to consecrate this temple and then god says this to the people of israel After this temple is consecrated, he said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. He's referring to the temple. Verse 16, for, for now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. I love this part. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. God says my heart will be in the temple for all time. How many of you know that the temple is not a building anymore? That when Jesus died and he rose again, you and I became temples of the Holy Spirit. 
And now the Lord resides in you. And the Lord has said, my eyes and my heart will be in the temple for all time. You know what he's saying here? You have my heart. You have my eyes. You have my ears. You have my heart. It will never leave you. It is with you for all time. And I love what he says in the beginning, that if my people will humble themselves, and if they pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'm going to hear them from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. This is what revival looks like. Revival, or, or I like the term renewal, personally, uh, because it, 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 it connotates or it implies this, this, this uh, individual thing that's happening because revival starts with the individual, doesn't it? It starts with one person desperately seeking God that ignites the flame in somebody else. And their, their heart is renewed. Their spirit is renewed. And they share that with another person. And, and pretty soon individuals start being renewed. Their spirits start being renewed. And when that happens on a grand scheme, then you see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. Is our world, our world is at war right now. There's, there's genocides happening in Burma. There's racism and political unrest here in our country. We live in a world of chaos. And people are desperately searching for answers. And I want you just to imagine for a moment, driving into the afraid of city limits. And as soon as you cross the, the city limit line, you feel a supernatural peace. You feel this true rest when you enter this place. Imagine thousands of people coming to the middle of Washington because they heard there was a town that is truly experiencing the presence and the, and the healing of God. That sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? It sounds absurd. Only God could do something like that. We can't do that on our own, right? Only God could do something like that. You know, I was, I've been reading this book called God Dreams, and it encourages you. You know, if you have a dream, if God is putting something on your heart, if it's something that you can do on your own, that it's not big enough. If it's something that, if you, if you have a dream that God has given you, but it's something that you can do through your own effort and your own work, then your dream is not God-sized enough. Because the things that God wants to do, he wants to do things that only he can do. The things that are outside of our power, the things that are outside of our will, and something like that is outside of our control. Only God could cause something to grow in the desert, to grow. Only God could cause something like that. And I believe that Isaiah 43, 19 is a word specifically for our church here in Ephrata. It says this, behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. See, we have to recognize that God is doing a new thing in his church. And we have to be able to accommodate the fresh move of the Holy Spirit. See, the things, you know, I, I look back to, um, you know, now that I have kids, Obviously, I think this, there's an important facet to this. I ask myself, well, what were the things that I experienced growing up in the church or that I experienced with the Lord? What are the things that were important to my life because I want my kids to experience those things as well? And so I ask myself, how do I replicate those things? And, and, as I, and, and, there, 
on some level, that's, that's healthy. It's, it's good to ask, what can we replicate that's good? But I believe that God wants to say that the way that we're going to reach this new world, this new generation, is not the same way that we did it back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s. That we can't use old models to do a new move of the Spirit. That there's a fresh outpouring of the Spirit, something that the church has never seen before. Something that the world has never seen before. God wants to do a new thing in his church and in his people and in the hearts of individuals. But in order for God to do that, we have to be able to accommodate a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, he, he, he talked a little bit about this. He used an illustration of wine and wineskins in Matthew nine seventeen, And he said that you cannot pour new wine into old wineskins. Because an old wineskin has been already fermented before. It's already, been, it's already aged with a previous wine. And so now it's weaker. It's, it's a lot more fragile. And so when you pour a new wine to an old wineskin, the wineskin is going to burst. And the wine will spill all over. And the wineskin will be ruined. But Jesus said you have to pour new wine into new wineskins. So that the wineskin can accommodate the process. That needs to happen. That there's a new aging, a new fermentation that needs to take place. And in order for that to happen properly, in order for that skin not to break, it has to be a new wineskin. And Jesus says, I want my church to begin to, to, to prepare their wineskins because I'm going to pour out a fresh wine. I'm going to pour out a fresh thing from the Holy Spirit, but my church has to be ready for it. And I think we saw 2020 was the beginning of this of the sifting that God was doing in his church. He was preparing his churches. He was getting them ready to house new wine, a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I think there's many things that we can do in the church today to accommodate this fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I think one of the primary things that needs to be a priority is prayer. Prayer needs to be a priority in church, once again, where not just a pray before you eat your meal or pray when you go to sleep, but, 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 but a fervent prayer for the Lord to pour out his spirit, to desperately seek the Lord. I think prayer needs to be one of the things that the church grabs a hold of again and is desperately crying out to God for a move of the spirit. But the Lord has been speaking to me about the impact that we can have in our community. I believe one of the things that he placed on my heart was the impact that a new church name could have. Now, you might be thinking, well, what, Pastor, this, we, maybe you've been here for a long time. You've already been through a name change here at this church. That's, that's impressive. Congratulations. You've, you've, you've been here a while. And, and, and maybe you're thinking, well, what, I, I, maybe you're really attached to our former church name, Afraid of Foursquare Church. I know some of you were, were maybe married in this church or, or found family in this church, and, and it and, and, and means a lot. And I just want to say that our belief structure, what we believe about God, the Holy Spirit, what, what, what we believe is not going to change. It's not changing. What, what, who we're affiliated with, we, we're four square. That's not changing. But the Lord has been putting on my heart the, the impact that a church name could have. And so this morning, if you saw the video, I'm just going to briefly re-explain these reasons. I have three reasons why I believe a name change would be beneficial for, for our church and for our community. And the first reason is this is that we want to communicate to our community that a new thing is happening. We want to be very clear with our community that God is doing a new thing. 
Not only is there new leadership, I've been here for 16, 17 months now. Not only is there new leadership, but I believe the next season of the Global Church is going to be any is going to be unlike any other in history. And I want to remind you once again of Isaiah 43, because if you read Isaiah 43 before verse 19, God is essentially bragging on himself. He's talking about himself in a good way. He's saying, Israel, don't you remember that I am the one who led you out of Egypt? I parted the Red Sea for you, and I destroyed all of your enemies, and the waves came crashing down on the, on the chariots. I did all of that and more. But then he says this. He says, but forget all those things. That sounds strange. God says, forget the former things. He says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Don't you perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness. I'm making rivers in the desert. The great things that I did before. Remember, Israel was instructed to build altars and to remember. And they they do with Passover every single year. Israel celebrates what God did when he brought them out of Egypt. But God is saying that the things that I did in the past are not the things that I want to continue to do. That I'm doing a new thing. I'm pouring out my spirit in a fresh way. So we're called to honor the past. We're called to thank God for what he has done. And at the same time, simultaneously make room for what he wants to do in the future. Amen? The second reason is this, is that we want to emphasize Jesus over a denomination. We want to emphasize Jesus over a denomination. I love Foursquare. I've grown up in the Foursquare church. My mom is a licensed Foursquare pastor. <laughs> and uh, I am proud to be Foursquare. We will... Always be affiliated with Foursquare. That is not changing. However, I have asked some of you in our church, hey, can you explain to me what Foursquare means? <laughs> and, and most of you have the same answer. Oh, well, it was founded by a woman. Yes, it was. It was founded by a woman. But beyond that, not many people can explain to me what defines Foursquare. And if people in the church can't even define what Foursquare is, how do we expect people outside of the church to know what Foursquare is, what defines Foursquare. And I do not want our church name to inhibit anybody from potentially coming and just checking out what God is doing and experiencing the presence of God. If removing the word Foursquare from our name allows some people to come in and to, to explore or just to see what God is doing in this church, if, if it allows even one person, I'm willing to do that. We are always going to be a Foursquare church. But I want to be able to emphasize Jesus over a denomination for people to experience the, the presence of Jesus. And then they can come to grow class and hear all about Foursquare if they want. The third reason is this. We want to include those who attend from neighboring towns. We have a vision to reach not only people who are living in Ephrata, but there's people who are in our church today who are attending from Moses Lake, Soap Lake, some from Quincy. And we want to be able to include and incorporate all of those surrounding areas into our church's identity so that uh, people, uh, th- th- the more people can feel a part of our, of our community. They feel like they can come to this church. And, and, um, and so we have this vision to, to include people from neighboring towns. And so by now, uh, you've probably heard what we are proposing for a new church name. And I want to let you know that um, this is something that my wife and I have been praying uh, for. Um, the Lord dropped this in our hearts in about January, and we shared it with the council, and the council has all unanimously agreed to move forward with this church name. But we feel 
as, as a council that we are to move forward into this next season as Desert Church. And so um, we're going to play this video real quick. And at the end of this video, I'm going to come up and I'm going to unpack these uh, three reasons that I explain in this video. I'm here at the base of Dry Falls, just 25 miles north of Ephrata, where thousands of years ago there would have been a waterfall about four times the size of Ni Niagara Falls caused by glacial flooding. At one point, this would have covered certain parts of the Columbia Basin in hundreds of feet of water because of an ice sheet that obstructed the Columbia River. Once that ice sheet melted, the river returned to its normal course, leaving the falls the Grand Coulee, and lower towns like Euphrata completely dry. There's three reasons why I believe we're to enter into this next season as Desert Church. The first reason is that this name aligns with our vision to see our desert towns saturated with the life-giving presence of God. The leadership in our church believes that God has given us vision to see this area saturated once again, but not with physical water. We believe God wants to saturate the dry and thirsty hearts of our community with his life-giving presence. We aren't the source of this water. God is the source. Instead, we are a church in the desert, dependent upon the Holy Spirit so that we can help to bring life to dry people in dry places. The second reason is that biblically, God did amazing things in the desert that we want him to do here at our church. We've been talking about in this series, Desert Places, that the desert was a place of preparation. It was a place of provision and protection. And it's a place of healing. All of those, we want those things in our church today. We've also been talking about how the desert is a place of encounters. In Exodus 19, Israel encounters God in the desert of Sinai. God calls the people up to the mountain to experience him. Jesus often went into the wilderness or the desert places to spend time with his father. Bethlehem was a small town in the middle of the desert where God sent Jesus to be born in a world that desperately needed hope. The third reason that we believe Desert Church is appropriate for this time is that Desert Church geographically encompasses Ephrata and the surrounding areas. I mentioned before that we have a vision to reach not only people living in Ephrata, but also people living in neighboring towns like Soap Lake, Moses Lake, and Quincy. Much of the Columbia Basin is known as the High Desert Area in Washington State, and the name Desert Church not only includes Ephrata, but also the surrounding areas as well. So what am I asking you to do? Well, because we're a Foursquare church, we adhere to Foursquare bylaws that state that a new church name has to be approved first by the church council and then by the congregation. The church council has already approved this name change, and we collectively agree that uh, this is where God is leading us. On May 8th, uh, we're going to pass out ballots during our Sunday gathering, and we will vote on the name change together. So I'm asking for you to, to spend some time in prayer and ask God about the future of our church. Pray for God's presence to saturate this area and pray about how we can partner with him as we move forward. If you have any other questions about this change, you can email me directly at blake at afraidofforsquare.church. 
God bless you, and thank you so much for taking the time to watch this video. So let me unpack uh, those three reasons a little bit more, and I'm going to start with the last two and end with the first one. I believe the first one is, um, is one of the more significant ones uh, for, for our season that we're in. Uh, the first reason that I believe we're supposed to enter into this season as Desert Church is that we've been talking through this series, and, and yes, you've probably guessed by now that this series, Desert Places, uh, was pretty intentional. It was not by accident that we were in the midst of this series. And uh, biblically, we've been talking about how God does amazing things in the desert that we want him to do here. We've talked in this series about how the desert was a place of preparation, that God Uh, For 40 years, God prepared the hearts of his people in the desert before they entered the promised land. That God brought his people. We often think of the desert as this place of, man, Israel, you really blew it. You, You did not walk into the promised land like you were supposed to. And Israel, they did blow it. But God was gracious and merciful. And in his goodness, he brought Israel into the desert because he had something that he wanted to give them. He had something he wanted to teach them. These these people had been enslaved for 400 years by Egypt, and they had a mindset. They had no relationship, no context for who their creator was, no, no concept of who God was. And God brought them to the wilderness so that he could provide for them, that he could be their God once again. He could show them that he cares for them, that he is their people, and he was preparing his people to enter into the promised land. In Luke 1.80, Jesus, it says that Jesus continued to grow and to become strong in spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. After his baptism, Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days to prepare for his ministry leading up to his death on the cross. The prophet Isaiah foretold of John the Baptist, whose mission was to prepare the way for the Lord, to make straight in the desert a highway for our God, the desert place was a place of preparation. It's also, we've been talking about in this series, about how it's a place of provision and protection. That in Exodus, the people of God were thirsty, and God provided water from a rock. The people were hungry, and God provided manna and quail from heaven. The people were chased by Pharaoh's army, and God protected them with a pillar of fire. They were vulnerable to enemy attacks, and God brought them victory over their enemies. It was a place of provision and protection. The desert was also a place of healing. In Numbers 21, the people are healed from the bites of venomous snakes by gazing upon a bronze serpent that was lifted up on a wooden pole. And Jesus talks about in John 3 how he is that serpent that was lifted up. That that, that was a representation of Jesus taking on the judgment of the world and paying the price so that the world could be set free from sin. It was a place of healing. Mark 145 says that after Jesus cleansed the leper, he ministered to people in desert places where people came to him and they were healed. See, the desert in the Bible was a place of preparation, a place of provision and protection, a place of healing. And church, I want to be a church that is a place of preparation. I want people to be prepared for what God is calling them to do in their life. I want them to feel equipped when they come to church. I want them to feel that God has given them everything that they need to succeed in the mission that he's given to them. I want our church to be a place of provision and protection. I want people to feel safe when they walk through these doors and know that God has got their back, that God's presence is here, that they are sheltered under the under his wings, that he's looking out for them. I want our church to be a place of healing. I want people to come here to be healed 
from emotional uh, wounds and physical wounds and, and mental wounds, that this would be a place of healing. And in the Bible, we also see that the desert is a place of encounters. Church, I, I want our church to be a place where people encounter Jesus, where they encounter God. In Exodus 19, I talked about how Israel encounters God in the desert of Sinai. That Jesus, he often went into desert places, into the wilderness to spend time with his father. Bethlehem was a small town in the desert, which, by the way, did you know, you probably already know this because you've been here longer than me, uh, but our town is named after Bethlehem. It is a, it's like a surname or a nickname to, to Bethlehem. It says in Micah 5.2, we have it on the screen. It says, but you, O Bethlehem Ephratah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. That God does amazing things in desert places. And, and we want our church to be a place of encounters where people come to encounter God. The second reason is that Desert Church geographically encompasses Ephrata and the surrounding areas. Uh, this area, if you look at, at like a, if you look at like a rainfall map, if you Google it, you'll see like all the dark green that's on the west side of the state, and there's like some green over by Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and Spokane. But if you look right in the middle of Washington State, there's this red dot that signifies lack of rain, desert place. And that's where we live, this little, this, this little red dot in the middle of Washington State. We live in, in the driest part of Washington State. It's, it's known as the, the high desert plains of Washington State. And so desert, the word desert, geographically, uh, it, it's, it's geographically accurate not only to Ephrata, but to the surrounding areas here in Grant County that we are in the high desert of Washington State. It includes, it encompasses all those surrounding areas. But here's the, the last point, which I wanted to spend just a little bit more time on, is that this name aligns with our vision to see our desert town saturated with the life-giving presence of God. That word saturated is important, and it's very intentional, because the word saturated means that there is no more room left for water. It, just, it means that there, there, it's been soaked so well that there is no more room, like a sponge that has it's holding all the water it can hold. It's been completely saturated. And we want our, we want this area, we want our church, we want this town to be saturated with the presence of God. Over the past couple months, some of the leadership at our church, uh, we've been meeting for what we call vision nights. And in these vision nights, uh, it's been an opportunity for us to discover together and pray together about what God wants to do in our church over the next 15 years and the impact that we want to have with our community. Here's, if I, I, I would want to know that if we ever closed the doors to our church, and God willing, that will never happen. But if we ever closed the doors to our church, I would want to know that our community misses us. That we had an impact, that we were, that we were, that we were giving life to the community in such a way that when we're gone, people notice that we're gone. Do we have that impact today? And what kind of impact do we want to have in the next 15 years with our community? So we've developed this vision statement at these vision nights. We, uh, we were going through a book together called God Dreams, and we developed a vision statement that's going to lead us moving forward 
and uh, I'm going to share just this vision statement. It's about a para- it's a it's a paragraph long, and this isn't the catchy short vision statement. This is more of a uh, military instructions for the future. It's an inward statement, internal statement, and and it's this. Uh, can we put it on the screen? The Afreda landscape accurately portrays the condition of many hearts in our area. Dry desolate and thirsty. And we believe that God wants to bring a flood of renewal into these desert places by transforming people into spirit-filled, biblically informed, risk-taking followers of Jesus. In the next 15 years, we will dedicate ourselves to pursuing spiritual formation for the sake of saturating the desert with the good news of Jesus and creating more mature disciples. So in short, here's the, here's the catchy one. We exist. Let's put it on the screen. We exist... Do we have it? We exist to bring the presence of God to desert places. That is our vision. That is why we're here. We want to bring the presence of God to desert places, to dry hearts, to dry people who desperately need God. We want them to experience the life of God, the life of his Holy Spirit. Now, I understand for some of you, and you've, you've already had these conversations with me over email, that the word desert may have some negative connotations. Uh, but, and, um, and some of you have, have come to me and said, well, what about, what about having a, a word that signifies water in our church name, like Living Water Church or Oasis Church or something like that? And uh, we, we considered those names. However, the reason that, that we, there's a couple reasons that we, we steered away from those. One is because there are many living water churches out there. There are many, um, Oa- actually one of my good friends that I used to be on staff with, he pastors a church called Oasis Church. And uh, there's, there's many churches that have that kind of water connotation. And we wanted something a little unique to us, uh, unique to our area. But also, the word desert uh, implies that we are not the source of this water, that we are not the living water. We are a church in the desert that is reliant upon the Holy Spirit to bring his life-giving water to us. We believe that God is the one who brings the water, saturates the ground, and we are merely a church in the deserts that exist for the people living in desert places that bring them to the well, that bring them to the place where God wants to water their soul, where God wants to saturate them with life. And so we, we believe that, uh, that, that God is the one that does the work. He is the one who brings life. And so uh, the, the idea that we are an oasis or we are a wellspring or we are giving water is still very real. It's, it's very much what, what we exist to do. We bring people to the well, but we believe that God is the one who does it. He's the one who brings the water. And so uh, we feel that desert church is appropriate for this season, and it's where God is leading us in the next season. So what I'm asking you to do, church, is I, I would love for all of you just to spend this next week contemplating this and praying about this. And I, I, here's what I'm asking you to do is, is put your personal preferences to the side, please, and, and genuinely just seek the Lord. Ask him, ask him if, if this name aligns with where we're headed. And uh, we are a four-square church, like I said, and four-square bylaws state that in order to uh, move forward with the new church name, first the church name has to be approved by our council, which a couple of weeks ago it was approved by our council. We all collectively agreed that we were going to move forward with this. And the next step is to have a church member vote. And so next Sunday, May 8th, Mother's Day, woohoo! We are going to, we are going to uh, vote on this new church name. And because we don't do official membership at this church, we don't have a membership class. We don't have you sign anything saying, I'm a member of this church. So you might be asking, how do I know 
that I am a member of this church and that my vote will be counted. Well, here's how you know that you're a member. Uh, you attend regularly, you give faithfully, and you serve in some capacity. Maybe, maybe not all those things, three things all the time, but those are really the three kind of measurements of church membership that, that you attend regularly, you give faithfully, you serve. And um, maybe, maybe you don't serve as much anymore. Don't worry. I, I, I know who's been here forever. Uh, and so maybe you're asking yourself, am I a member or not? Uh, uh, ask yourself those three questions. And, and you know that your, your vote is going to be counted. We're going we're gonna to pass out ballots to everybody in the room regardless, and so everybody's vote will be counted. Um, and we're going to ask for you to sign the back of the ballot, put your name on it, and um, we're going to count those votes. And hopefully we're going to move forward with, uh, with, what, what, with what God is doing in our church. And I'm excited for this next season, church. I believe that God is doing a new thing, and I am so encouraged by um, the support and by the uh, the faithfulness of, of of people in this church, with the generosity of people in this church, and um, I I really sense that this community, this this church family, is hungry for God to move. That this is, and one of the things I'm the most proud of is that um, I've had family, my my family, come to this church. Uh, not not my immediate family, but but relatives come and they visit this church. And some some of these relatives have been away from God for a very long time, haven't set foot in a church for a very long ta- time. And one of my relatives, he set foot in this church a couple weeks ago, and he came up to me afterwards and he said, "Blake, I've never been to a church that was more welcoming and more genuine and more authentic than I than I, I experienced at this church." And every time he's in town, he looks forward to staying through the weekend. He wants to stay through Sunday so he can come to church and say hi to people once again. I'm the most proud that we are a church that genuinely loves people, that we are warm and welcoming, that it will always be a part of our identity. It's always going to be a part of who we are. So can I have you stand with me as we pray and close? Jesus, I thank you for uh, what you're doing in this place. And Lord, we, we, we lay aside our own plans. We lay aside our own agendas and we ask for you, Spirit, to do what you want, to do what you want in this place, to have your way. God, I pray that you would pour out your Spirit in a new way in this church. Make us a church that desperately prays. Make us a church that that welcomes and receives people without any anything in return, without any obligations from them. Father, I pray that your presence, that your love would be so evident to people who are coming in for the first time. And, and Lord, as they drive by and see our building, I just pray that there would be something that would attract them to come and check out what you're doing on Sunday morning. God, I pray not only for our Sunday morning gatherings, but make us a people that seek people that go out into the streets and we are risk takers and we invite people and we share Jesus with people and we we ask to pray for people. Lord, help us to saturate this place with your presence. But first, Lord, saturate our hearts. Fill us up so we can overflow. God, give us a new wineskin. Lord, give us a new capacity to hold your spirit. Don't let us keep using the old one and the old ways and the things that we're used to. But, Father, show us what is the new things you want to give to us so we can accommodate a fresh outpouring of the spirit. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray.
Church said, Amen.